0: If people aren't doing this, I think they really need to reconsider their emotions here is that I think people need to take YouTube seriously as a podcast host. This is one you do in combination, like you aren't currently able to use any other podcast host to upload on YouTube. I will tell you right now, it is amazing to me how many people use YouTube as their podcast player. And if you are not currently doing that, you are missing out on some potentially very big opportunities. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Schramko. Helping you build your business super
1: fast. 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 James Schramko here. Welcome back to Super Fast Business. This is episode 894. I'm chatting with my good friend, Charlie Vailer. Back again. Very popular guest, Charlie. Yeah, very lucky. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, you're here because the audience says, come on, can you get Charlie back? We love everything. I mean, we've done uh, video podcasts versus audio podcasts. That episode's been really popular. All of the people that I'm dealing with in the podcasting world, they keep talking about how you've been so helpful for them, as you have with me. And I've mentioned this so many times before. You've helped me with the sound quality, the putting the videos onto native channels, promoting episodes more. Just there's a few, like they're sort of my go-to things. Oh, Charlie's good because of this. Now, one of your pet peeve topics that people always ask you is, Charlie, what microphone should I use? But I just want to do an entire episode on that just to stir you up because we're here now. I want to do a 2022 podcast tools edition. I'm not doing this like most creators are doing this because they want to stick all their affiliate links and sell a whole bunch of stuff. That's not my motivation. My motivation is just let's just knock it on the head. I want to post or a podcast where when someone says, what microphone should I use or what camera should I use, I want to say, actually, we've recorded an episode about this. This is sort of instructive because it's kind of the way that I work. I'm building my catalogue of things that I can send people to that help them on their journey. So you're down for it, Charlie?
0: Absolutely. I feel like this is going to be the year of the podcaster. I cannot tell you how many times I've answered this series of questions this year <laughs> on like what equipment, what's new? Is it the same as last year? It's, um, so I think it's a worthy episode. And to be frank, as much as I get that question a lot, it's also an important question. So let's now It is an important question. You know, I was just watching um, a few episodes of Undercover
1: Billionaire and in one of the series they set up a podcasting studio as part of their agency and, you know, they're all in. They've got the physical space. They've got podcasting rooms firing off like it's becoming mainstream. This was in a small town where it wasn't happening at all and now it's on, uh, you know, Discovery TV and it's thrust into millions and millions of viewers. I don't know how many people watch that show, but everyone knows what a podcast is. I'm thrilled when we jag a top 50 on our show, which is great. And I know I'm not playing the volume game, but I've got the best listeners. So if you listen to this podcast or watching it, wherever you watch it, firstly, if you're watching the video of it, partly that's because Charlie was responsible for that. Secondly, I just want to say thank you for being uh, part of my audience because I know how many podcasts there are and how competitive it is and how much choice you have to go and listen to something else. So I want to make this a knock it out of the park episode. Let's start with the most obvious, the sound. You and I are both using good quality mics, and I'm really hoping that that's retained its integrity through the editing process with my team. And I know your business at Vala Media is doing this for your clients, so both of us appreciate or the teams appreciate getting a reasonable quality input to start with. How important is the microphone quality and what are we using to
0: record today? So I'll start here. Sound quality like is the backbone of podcasting, right? If you don't have good sound quality and you do have really good video, it's likely you won't get a result. So I think as podcasters, audio should always be maintained as the primary and video as secondary, although that doesn't mean have a poor video either. So I think that's an important thing out of the gate. The good news is, is all this gear is getting so much cheaper. I'm noticing things now that only a few years ago were costing me a lot more. I can get better things cheaper in all honesty. Now, I review a ton of stuff across the year. I'm very fortunate that I get to play with a lot of the podcasting gear. And I have to say, there was no takedown in this category, what I'm going to recommend first. I still think, and I hold this, the Rodecaster Pro, which we're both using, the device onto our computers here, and then the Rode PodMic in my case, and a very similar one you have over there, the Podcaster, definitely king of the ring, did not get taken down at all in my view. I think that is the best equipment you can get in that arena. So for audio on the high end, that is the one I would go for. But I want to throw in a couple of points on this one. I also quite regularly review USB gear. And I'm going to give absolutely there is a new mic out that I'm a big fan of if you are someone who just wants to go for a USB microphone. And that is the Shaw. and I'm just reading this one, Shaw MV7. I was lucky to get a hold of one of these and I think they are the best microphone for uh, USB podcasters who don't want to go the whole kit and caboodle. So just in summary, USB means you get
1: the USB cable and you plug it into your computer and there's no other bits and pieces, no amplifier, preamplifiers, deck or any of that stuff.
0: Yeah, so to separate the categories, if you want the best, the Rodecaster Pro and the PodMic I think is the best. If you're looking for like 80% of the result, maybe 70% of the result, then you can get a USB mic, which is a lot cheaper. There are some other things that go into that, but the Shure MV7 is a great option and I think they're a fantastic sounding mic. I'll put it this way, the Shure MV7 is good enough that I could do all my shows with it and be really happy with it.
1: Yeah, look, I'm looking across here at my old Rode NTS USB and gosh, it probably got me a couple hundred episodes and then before that was my Rode Podcaster USB mic. And I've recorded at least 700 episodes on that across my other podcasts with the, just to plug it into USB. I had one in each house and that was it. But I will say when we went to this next level, and I'll just say what my experience has been with this thing. Firstly, it's got cool sound effects, right? So we can put in sound effects and I occasionally use them. I'm very sparing. I know you could go over the top. It's so exciting when you get a sound effects, right? But the most important thing is it's got this digital sound processor, so it just takes my regular crappy voice and just makes it into a radio podcast voice. It just makes it better. It's good. It's kind of like plastic surgery for your voice. The other cool thing is it's got the ability to record locally. So I'm recording this podcast on this digital sound processing unit and it doesn't really matter what Zoom captures or not. I'm going to use the high quality audio. So that's been a huge convenience. It's storing on an SD card. I can instantly just look across and see the level of memory left on the card. I've got a huge card in there. And when I finish the show, I just push a button, export the tracks and it's super high quality across all the channels. I can also Bluetooth in my phone if I want to call someone. So if I was doing a podcast where I'm speaking to people who aren't savvy with the tech which doesn't happen to me very often. I mean, look at me, you're my guest today and you've got better equipment than I do, Charlie. But if I was doing a market where I'm just speaking to regular people and I have to call them on a cell phone, then I would want a Bluetooth in my phone and I would want that recorded through this high quality machine. So you know, that's basically the reason I really love this machine and it was certainly worth it for me to go
0: for that upgrade. Yeah, totally agree. And all those points are true and I agree. But there's one feature on this which I think doesn't get enough recognition. If you've ever had a guest and maybe their audio isn't quite loud enough, right, is that if you have the Rodecaster Pro, you can literally just turn a dial and increase the volume of their voice. The levels. Yeah, yeah. the leveler I think is like such an underspoken thing. And time and time again, I still listen to podcasts and it's like the host has got this beautiful enriched sound and then the guest is like, hey. it's like ah could have been better
1: (laughs) yeah i love it i've got the dials here and i have had to occasionally adjust them so that is really cool there is another benefit that we haven't talked about it provides hours and hours of endless entertainment for my daughter she gets in here and she puts the headphones in and she's pushing all the buttons and i do have to occasionally just check the, the settings to make sure that we're not but just for that value alone it's like off the top So microphones, I think we're covered there. What about for the camera? That was the next obvious step.
0: Yeah, I'm going to do this in the same. I'm going to cover USB option, which is a cheaper alternative. And then I'm going to do King of the Ring, what I think is the best one here. So in the USB category, we actually have a new winner. Like last year, I would have suggested something else, but a company called Elgato have brought out their face cam. And I think this is a sensational product. For the price, it's about 300 bucks. And for a plug and play USB camera, it will beat most webcams today. And I think it's a phenomenal way to go. Now I will mention, and I haven't given this the uh, title yet, is that some new inbuilt Mac cameras that are coming soon and they're going to be fantastic as well. But because they're not officially out yet on the new iMac or anything, I'm going to save that for maybe the 23 edition. We'll see if it makes it. So I've heard good things, but definitely at the moment, USB Elgato face cam is the USB pick. And then on the other side of things, I've uh, stuck with, so this is the king of the ring category, if you've got the budget, go for this, is the Sony A6400 once again. I did not use a camera this year that impressed me more than that camera. And there's certainly more expensive cameras out there, but the crossover of quality, value, runtime, the flip screen, it's got all the goods that I think make uh, podcasting super easy to do and um, also high quality.
1: Yep, I'm going to put in my point of view here. Firstly, I wasn't using cameras at all. I was only doing audio for years. Secondly, I was using a laptop or a Mac Air or a MacBook Pro. Like I was only using equipment that had cameras. And so I needed an external camera. So I got Logitech stuff. I had the Logitech C920 or whatever it is. And then I had a 4K Brio. And I'm going to say they're better than the one that comes in a laptop, but they're still rubbish the exposure or the brightness or the extra little janky plugins you need to do to tune it never worked great for me. When I got an iMac, along came the pandemic and I'm like, I'm not traveling every month. So I'm like, okay, I just want a machine because I've got this fantastic sound deck and I've got this fantastic camera. Now I've got the Sony a6400 that you recommend, which is amazing. That's what we're talking to. Now it gets you that blurred background effect. The lens just sits there on its tripod right near the camera in a computer and I don't touch anything. So I've got this dedicated machine with that, uh, the new chip. That chip makes all the difference because my old computer used to huff and puff and uh, we'd lose – remember we had to change the cables, Charlie, because we were losing some of the quality of the equipment, wasn't making it through to the thing, was just wheezing and puffing like an asthmatic running up a hill carrying a backpack of lead. But now this, this iMac with the good chip – and high-quality cables, you specifically said you've got to get this special high-gigabit cable. What is it, MPPS?
0: 10GP... Uh, USB-C 3.1 is the one we use. Yeah,
1: so 10GPPS or something, it's there, and it's just feeding the camera and the, the sound, and it's just faultless. The camera's made a huge difference. But I will say this. When I moved house and packed away all my equipment and I was just left with the iMac and a USB mic, the camera in the iMac was better than the Logitech. So what we didn't say with the microphone is that you absolutely cannot use the microphone that comes in a laptop or a phone or something. It's it's ideally just, it doesn't get you a ticket into podcasting anymore. No. Maybe the iMac. The iMac is impressive for the, the camera is better than the Logitech in my experience. And the sound is actually reasonably good, but it's nothing like having an external sound source. And if you're going to go for an audio format, please just upgrade the audio. Camera wise, I could get by with the one in the iMac, but the one in the the Sony is just that much better. And if you're going to do this, I mean, what kind of business can you do where you spend like five grand to set up and you can tax deduct that straight away, probably in most countries, and it's going to last you for hundreds and hundreds of episodes. I'm using the microphone that Charlie suggested. I'm using the camera that he suggested. I'm using the special lens. Do you want to talk about that Sigma lens?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the Sony a6400 is the body of the camera. Yep. Great camera. Yep. But one of the things that if people are watching this video is they'll notice we've got the blurred background effect. And that's actually done through the lens. The lens does that. To this point, there's no great software that will do it through this means. So there is a Sigma lens that uh, I highly recommend. I actually haven't got the name in front of me, but it's an F1.4, F1. it I believe. Yeah. And you get that for the mount, and very reasonably priced. For what you get here so it does certainly sit in that value point as well
1: now charlie when i set mine up and then we were comparing yours to mine i wasn't getting exactly the same quality as you and what what you and i had to do is just benchmark a bit and get all the settings right you know the f stop and the exposure and the auto white belts all this stuff i'm going to just say if you're following this episode and you've got a sony a6400 then check out charlie's website valamedia.com because he's going to put together some kind of guide or video tutorial on the settings right charlie I just put you in that. <laughs> I was going to say, we don't have that.
0: But you know what? I actually have it. I've got it recorded on my phone okay. where I've actually been going over the settings of what to push. So we can do that. We can do that.
1: <laughs> I know. You can take a screenshot of it and it's it's got all – the. I just matched mine to yours and then it just magically came. Because there's things like you got to get the current right or it's going to flicker and all this stuff.
0: Yeah, there, there is a little bit – and like I will disclose this. Like I've given this king of the ring status and then we've suddenly gone through all the reasons why it's not just plug and play. If you want to achieve a high quality with the tech that's out there right now on the A6400, you do have to go through a couple of processes, whether it's settings or getting good cables. But once you do it, it's done. Absolutely. I just
1: walk into this room. I like literally before this call, I was helping some guy fold his ladder away because he was fixing something in my roof. But I just walk in, fire up the session and away we go. And there is a third component to this and that's the lighting. And it's probably often overlooked. I'm now having a lot of conversations with people. What about my backdrop and my lighting or whatever? You record this stuff and then you realize you've got skeletal eyes or it's just not quite right. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Because you've helped me out with this too. And I've also found a great device that I'm absolutely in love with that I think has been tremendous and I would get again. That's the test. Would I buy it again? Would
0: you buy it again? I like it.
1: I like that test.
0: I don't feel much the same. Uh, One of the things I'll, I'll give a briefing here is like, lighting isn't lighting like you can't get on ebay and buy one of those cheap lights and think it's going to perform the same as one of the more expensive ones i think that that is a bit of a fallacy and especially when someone's using a logitech camera and you have a cheap light that exposure holy smokes is uh very very interesting you just see blowout everywhere if i could say like what's a good way to go about this is number one is like you definitely want to use a light with a softbox A soft box and soft light makes a huge difference. That's what I'm I'm using right now. And then the brand I recommend, there's two, is Godox and Aperture, who both make really quality lights. And I believe I'm on an SL60 or an ML60 Godox light right now. I do swap them, so forgive me not knowing the exact ones because if anyone could see this shelf in front of me, they would understand. (laughs) There's a lot of different stuff here. But that makes a really huge difference. And I'll, I'll go with this. One good light will beat five poor ones. So nice soft light, use a soft box, makes a massive difference. Nice. Well, I've got natural sunlight
1: across this whole room with a double blind. I can have, no, it's actually single at the moment. I think you and I discussed this. I've, I can have two blinds or one, but as it's daytime at the moment recording this, I've got this effectively a wall size soft box. Correct. That's why it's got a nice fill. But here I've got one of those Kodak, ring lights, and it allows me to adjust the whiteness. See, I can make it blue or yellow, right? I quite like the, the yellowy one. And I can make it brighter or, or softer. At nighttime, see, that's dark, right? Look at that. I've just shadowed it if you're listening to this, sorry,
0: it's going to work on the video. Yeah, you just have to know it was shadowed, out. Right? It was, trust me.
1: <laughs> now, if it's nighttime and I don't get my big softbox, I've got some little Philips Hue lights and I've got one each side of me and I've got one facing on the back and then I've got one in my little glass topped sideboard. And what that allows me to do is to, you know, again, adjust the mood and to fill in any gaps. So, that's pretty cool. But the other thing, you put me onto this, um, this sort of coloured wand light, which is sitting in the corner.
0: Mine's actually behind me. Mine's right there.
1: Right. I, I love that product. Mine's currently sort of a pinky red, and it's picking up my surfboard in the backdrop and giving it that sort of really interesting look. If you look at some of my backdrops in videos, they're either purple or blue or red, and that's because I'm filming at night, and it starts filling up the room with more colour. At the moment, because it's daytime, I've got a, a different ambiance. So... There you go. Also, while we're on the, the sort of the random topic, sound insulation. I don't know if this is on your podcast, Tools Edition, but for me it was critical. You may recall in my old office I had all blacks. Every single wall was sound insulated, and you and I had conversations about this. Like some people even put it under their desk and in the roof corners and stuff. It was great until I needed to move. And then when I started pulling it down, I, like I destroyed that office. I, I was out there with a chisel. I spent days trying to get rid of quick grip and liquid nails and silicone. And I tried like 17, double-sided tape. I tried all these different ways to affix it. Lesson learned. I took the best sound panels and I brought them here. And what I did here, when I moved, I got those big cardboard porter robes And when I finished, I just cut one open put it on the ground and I got some liquid nails and I spread it all over the thing and then I stuck the sound foam tiles onto the cardboard and then I just pushed the cardboard into the corner of my wall. So from about the right-hand side of my screen all the way around into the corner, it's just the whole wall is black sound foam tiles, like egg carton, just sucking up the extra echo. And it's quite acceptable, you know, for a little home studio without damaging it. If I've finished with this room, if I repurpose it, like, for example, let's say I just fill it with surfboards or something as if that would happen. Then I can just pick it up and just pull it off the wall and there's, there's not even one nail, nothing. It just sits in the corner beautifully and it's been great.
0: Yeah, great way to do it. Great way to save your walls using rugs. But I think I can see some sound foam tiles there on your Setup. Yeah. So I mentioned something here, microphone selection or type is the big difference. If someone has a condenser mic, which I won't go too much into those categories, which sadly is what your Rode NT is. Yeah. You're going to have to use a lot of treatment to make that room work. But if you use a dynamic microphone, which is what I'm using now and what you use, James, you can get away with a lot more in your room. And that's because the microphone has shielding. It's actually stopping sound coming into the sides and back from all directions. So really important point is that you get the right microphone to create that effect.
1: Those Yetis or the Snowballs, are they the ones that pick up absolutely everything?
0: Yeah, the Yeti is a great mic if you have the environment to use it. But if you don't, it is an Echo Box. It's the worst. It will probably sound something like that if you use it. It's
1: a, a big bouncer. My Rode Podcaster mic used to be quite directional. Great mic as well. Yeah, it was forgiving because I had like kids and dogs running around before in my old house and it was noisy environment, but people couldn't pick it up, which is great. And I had someone ask me today, they said, listen, on our calls, I notice you're typing, but I never hear the keyboard. And like he said, what keyboard do you use? I said, just the regular Mac one. He goes, That's amazing. That is amazing.
0: <laughs> That's probably the greatest example. Right? That's the difference. You will hear typing on a condenser mic versus a dynamic. But to answer your question more directly, one of the things I will say is a lot of the soundproofing stuff out there is garbage. It's fake. <laughs> <laughs> if you are buying cheap panels on eBay or Amazon, many are just knockoffs that don't actually work. <laughs> uh, so like there is a lot of science that goes into like really good sound absorption. Now, I got to give people probably one of the most budget hacky ones that I think works so well. More often than not, a uh, closed horse with the towels on it will outperform a lot of things because of the nature of how it's designed. So if you've got nothing, got no budget, I think that's a really great solution for people. Just obviously hide it away from your shot and that will absorb a lot of room noise. But second to that, my absolute favorite is I, in anyone who's watching this video, you can see these black panels, like I've got one there and I've got one there. I'm actually using a fiberglass panel um, that are covered and just look nice in a cloth. They have been sensational. They're definitely more expensive. I think I spent about... 800 bucks on all the panels in this room right now. But um, it's almost to the point where I can clap and it sounds funny because it absorbs so much sound. It's brilliant. So I'm quite a fan of that.
1: It's amazing. I've, I've done all the hacks too before. I've, I used to put a pillow and a doona around, I, you know, those portable um, or just those little sort of foam mattresses. I used to stick one behind my computer between that and the hard wall when I was making info products. I had a big thick bean bag on the floor of like rugs you basically want soft furnishings and small
0: spaces if you want great quality, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, to the point is like soft furnishings, uh, good mic still very important here, and then a couple of good panels or things in can make a huge difference.
1: I've actually got a couple of these when I moved. I was transporting bottles in these, and uh, I've got a couple of these just sitting around behind there. Again, they just—you could make some stuff out of egg cartons if you're really on a budget. That you could do worse than that. But I just think battery. By the way, the foam sound tiles, when the removals came and took my bed and everything, and I was sleeping on a futon, I, I actually ended up sleeping on top of three or four layers of sound foam tiles to just. Get a night's sleep. so Probably would have actually been quite
0: comfortable, right? They're quite soft.
1: (laughs) This episode really could have been how to repurpose podcasting gear for practical other applications. Totally. Let's talk about recording. I've mentioned I'm recording straight to this sound deck. We're also recording on Zoom, so I've got at least some redundancy, and I suspect you're recording on your side too, Charlie because you're Charlie, uh, means that even if the Zoom fails, you and I could just get our hard drive versions and join them together and we can still end up with at least an audio salvage. What are we using to record these days? I asked you about a solution the other day and you gave me some mixed feedback on it as well because my team was saying, well, with Zoom, we're only able to get a certain resolution with the video and if we could use other solutions, maybe we could get a higher resolution, like if I record it directly onto the camera. But then I'm only going to be sort of limited to my guest because most guests
0: are not going to be able to record to a Sony a6400, right? Yeah, great topic. So I'll go through these ones is like Zoom is the standard and it's the standard for podcasters because it's reliable. Now, I'm not going to say it's the most high quality, but when's the last time anyone jumped on a Zoom call and it failed, right? It's incredibly robust. And if you are interviewing people, that's a really great feature to have. Um, It's also really easy to use. You don't have to train anyone how to do it. Everyone's pretty much used to Zoom calls, right? I'll say in most niches. So there's some really big wins for that. And then personally, I use Zoom as well. But it is one of those things where I've said for so many years now, surely there has to be a higher resolution solution. Surely there's a way to do this. Now, the contender in here, and I'll say contender, is a Riverside FM. And I love what they're doing. I really do. And I want to support these guys in getting their product to an amazing stage. But sadly, my experience has been very mixed and I'll express it. So Riverside is four times the quality of Zoom. So four times better. So it's not just a little bit better, it's a lot better. But on a bad day, there's lag issues, I've had upload issues, I've had numerous challenges where I've actually lost recordings. Now on its good days, amazing, like it is the best quality podcast we've ever done. But until I can be confident in the reliability, I've had to wait. And I'm sporadically testing it every six months or so to see if it improves. But to this point, I'm still reluctant to make that jump because I just don't like the idea of getting halfway through an interview that's going well and then suddenly the lag falls out. And it's not just a little bit. It's like we're talking like 15, 20 second lag that I've had experiences with personally that just didn't do it for me.
1: Yeah, it's no good. I mean, I've tried GoToMeeting before I committed to Zoom. And it doesn't split sides. You need to be able to split sides for editing. I used to use Skype, which was fine, except a lot of my guests had to install it to be able to talk to me. I I rode that train all the way to the end of the station. It's like eventually they just didn't cement their ground. So, you know, Zoom's where it's at for me at the moment in the short term. Let's talk about where we put the podcast because that qualifies as a tool. I'm using Amazon S3. Just partly because we've been using it for such a long time. It's extraordinarily cheap. They're a pretty big company. And if they go down, then we're all going down. And that happens occasionally, but not often. And it's sort of how we set up our original podcast using a plugin, a Blueberry plugin. And it does allow redirect. We can track downloads. We can get some visibility, I think, on Spotify. But I know that it's not the latest, greatest solution. And I'm curious to know, you know, what are people using in 2022?
0: Yeah, that's a a really good question. There's a lot of good options in this category. So for podcast hosting, I'll list my two favorite and why, and then I'll mention a few other things that I think are really important here. So number one, what I use personally is Omni. And I'll tell you why I use them is the support has been amazing. Anytime I've needed anything from them, they've helped me immensely. And this isn't just for my own show, but all our client shows. And I think many people would be surprised by the amount of times a podcast won't show on one platform or something needs to be resynced, or there's a bunch of stuff that happens in podcasts from time to time. And having someone on your side to help you resolve that has been amazing. So for that reason, I work with them and I, I support them in the big way. And they are also very quick to roll out new features. Second favorite is Libsyn. While I'll admit it doesn't have the most stylish dashboards or interface or anything like that, it kind of falls into the category of like Zoom. It's super reliable. So I'm quite a fan of those two. I don't think anyone can go wrong with those two, which is why I recommend them. But the third one, and if people aren't doing this, I think they really need to reconsider their emotions. Here is that I think people need to take YouTube seriously as a podcast host. This is one you do in combination. Like you aren't currently able to use any other podcast host to upload on YouTube. I will tell you right now, it is amazing to me how many people use YouTube as their podcast player. And if you are not currently doing that, you are missing out on some potentially very big opportunities. And I'll just throw one little, like, uh, this is a prediction. I think uh, Audible and Amazon do a lot better in the coming year. with Some very, very cool tech in the hosting space as well.
1: We've also heard about Spotify, you know, with Joe Rogan.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But one of the things is, is Spotify will link into Omni and Libsyn. So you kind of, by default, enable that platform. Just like with iTunes is still the biggest one by far. And that is in tied to those as well. And there's also, we hear about Stitcher and also maybe SoundCloud. So Stitcher and SoundCloud have, I would say, declined a little bit in the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. I have certainly noticed in uh, dashboards. so just to give this preface on the shows I look at, like we have quite a substantial amount of shows and the biggest growth areas I've noticed in the past 12 months have been Spotify and YouTube. Apple is still the king, undeniably, but then Stitcher and a lot of these other players, smaller ones, I've actually haven't seen them growing in the same way that these bigger platforms are. I think the big four is forming, so to speak. Well, we do
1: put all of our shows on YouTube, like we load it up to YouTube, we load it up to Facebook, we go that extra distribution, and compared to the old days, we get maybe maybe half or 60% of the number of downloads as we used to get just on the Apple platform, but... Plus the ones we're putting elsewhere, which you'd have to say cannibalizing to some extent or contributing to the overall pie. I think the overall pie is bigger, but we're meeting people where they're at and I'm okay with that. These are the main things that I'm, you know, we've talked about the obvious ones, the sound, the lights, the video, the hosting, the recording tool. Beyond that, what are the other things we might want to consider as a sort of must have podcasting tool?
0: Yeah, this is a new one. This is something we've only brought into the arena in the last year, I'll say, but something I'm using extensively now. And that's research tools. The two I'm a really big fan of are Topic Mojo and TubeBuddy. And these two platforms really help me understand what content's doing well in a niche. Now, if you've ever been a podcaster and had the thought, well, what does my audience want? How can I be sure I'm making things they want to consume? I think these are absolutely essential and something a lot of podcasters should spend more time on. I had my doubts. I was even skeptical, especially of our topic mojo. And then after using it a few times, I am of the view that I will be using it a lot. It was really good. And then also offered a ton of SEO benefit for ranking things as well, which I won't go into too deeply here. We're not talking about (laughs) SEO specifically here, but I just know there's some hidden value in knowing what people are searching for. Well, for context, you used to
1: be an SEO guy and you also were a paid traffic agency. So you do know about these things. Have you tried Spark Toro? I have not, not as yet. I know my team used that. We had um, the founder on our show. We bought the tool, been using it. It's been quite interesting. There are lots of other tools that are out there. I think BuzzSumo,
0: is it? Yeah, and also Ahrefs has got a fantastic one as well. Ahrefs. But, uh, I have to say the Topic Mojo and Buddy one have certainly won it for me against Ahrefs, even though I do like Ahrefs a lot.
1: I think TubeBuddy is very important if you're doing YouTube, right? Correct. Yeah, I think that's a really good tip. What about editing? This is something I'm not really involved in at all. I think we use Adobe or something, but honestly, I don't know and it doesn't really concern me. I'm happy for my team to have the best tool. So I'm, I'm asking on
0: their behalf, what are you recommending for editing and uh, to get the production going? This might be the most polarising question you've asked, James. There's certainly camps in this one. This is a big question. I didn't even know that. I didn't know this is controversial. (laughs) It is. There's uh, different crowds out there, but uh, I would say Adobe is my favorite editing tool by far, and my team use it a lot. They're big fans of that. But I'll say one of the things in the editing suite that I think is quite interesting is there's a tool out called frame.io that actually allows you to review things. And I think this is fantastic. So if you're working with an editor as a podcast, and you want to be able to review things and leave time-stamped messages on videos and know things have been changed. I am a big fan of that. And I think using it for clips or little snippets and caption stuff is, um, I've noticed a significant increase in productivity in being able to, rather than sending a message to a team going, oh, hey, can you fix up this bit? You can actually mark the video and put in a little note so your editor knows exactly what you're talking about. I love that. So I think that's a great tool. It's
1: like I'm doing with text in Google, you know, with like suggested changes and stuff. It's fantastic to have that ability to mark things up and
0: draw attention
1: to it. You gave such a big hint there. Snippets, taking big podcasts, breaking them down into little bite-sized pieces. That's what you do there at Valor Media as part of what you do. Helping these people get their podcasts out there, developing their shows, making them win What about an underrated tool
0: that we probably haven't heard of or we may not know about? Yeah, so I've got two left that I think are probably underrated that we're using now that I'm a big fan of. Okay. So one is dynamic podcast ads. Now, for anyone that doesn't know what a dynamic ad is, it's the ability to record an ad and then have it appear on your entire back catalogue without having to hard burn it into the episode. So, James, if we made an ad right now but someone went back and listened to episode 300, you could have that new ad appear.
1: Can I still do it to my show now, or do I have to do some major technical
0: thing? If your hosting provider enables it, so if Blueberry have that option, you could do it. I know Omni does, uh, definitely do, and that's something you do a lot of. But if you're someone who's continually updating like your offer, or your opt-ins, or you have something new, the ability to have it appear in front of your entire back catalog, all at the same time be able to change it, is something I don't think enough podcasters are taking advantage of. It's basically an ad server. Best way to describe it, yes. I used to have an ad server.
1: When I had 2,000 uh, domains and 1,000 websites, we had Dave Wooding built me an ad server and we could just run any ad on across our entire network. It was great. We could also run backlinks across our entire network, just inserting them on the footer back in the good old days. Could rank anything you know, within an hour. It was fantastic. I totally get it. It makes a lot of sense. And I am curious to know if we can do that because one day... I mean, people tell me I'm insane not selling ads or advertising on this particular show. So if, if you listen to this show and there is an ad running, you know that in the future I decided we've, we've updated it. <laughs> to, to run ads because of Charlie. I feel like I do leave a lot of money on the table because I coach people who make plenty of money doing ads. And if the sponsor was appropriate and sits within my core values and it was useful, then I'd be okay with that. Yeah. But even promoting your own stuff, let's say you've got a webinar coming up or an event. It's time sensitive. Yeah, that's amazing. It's really like the email list. I can broadcast to my email list about things that are interesting and I'm constantly letting people know about my partners and when there's new content. It'd be good to be able to put it across, especially if I ran a live event. You're right, that would be an amazing opportunity. What's your last tool, Charlie?
0: So the last one is one you actually introduced to me, which is 10X Pro. So one of the things that we've introduced and we're bringing in is using 10X Pro to collect all the emails and opt-ins and things from our shows. So these two kind of go together. When you imagine that you're suddenly using a dynamic ad and you're offering a webinar or a training or a framework or whatever it is, is the ability to have people come into 10X Pro and just absorb that ecosystem and get on your list and buy stuff. So you're just
1: clicking on campaign, just doing book funnel, a webinar or a new whatever, and you just deploy the campaign and it spools up a thing. You can rename the page, you can fill in the words, it, you'd be up and running very quickly if you had a team. But even if you were just doing it by yourself, it's that easy to use now. I'm glad you mentioned that and I appreciate it. I know there's some real power users using this platform now, which I'm excited about. A lot of the partners uh, that I work with are using it and we're building a better tool. I've been certainly pushing through some great update suggestions as I've been getting deeper into it as well. So thank you. Well, so basically we've listened to this episode 894. We've got a pretty good handle on what tools we're using, how we're making these podcasts, where we're putting them, how we distribute them, how we run ads. If you've got the technical questions about it, please get in touch with Charlie. He's a better person to ask that question. ValorMedia.com, we'll put a link to it in the show notes at episode 894. Charlie, thanks so much for coming along and sharing. We've got a few other topics that I want to ask you about for future episodes if you're willing to come back.
0: I'm super keen, James. I love being on the show.
1: <laughs> Thanks. We love having you. Well, that's it then. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, speak to you next time.
0: Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com.